Welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style, a weekly podcast hosted by Pat Wesolowski. Pat began homeschooling her nine children more than 25 years ago. It didn't take her long to discover that co-ops were a perfect fit for her educational goals. Co-ops allowed her family to study together with other families, creating a safe and friendly environment that was conducive to honing public speaking skills. Sharing responsibilities with other parents lessened the stress and the workload. After years of organizing and orchestrating a variety of co-ops, Pat is here to encourage, teach, and promote homeschooling co-op style. Hello, and welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style. If my voice sounds a little raspy, it's because I'm just getting over a cold. Sorry about that. Today we're going to answer some frequently asked questions about co-oping. We'll start with, how in the world do I find people to co-op with when so many of my friends are either engrossed in a complete curriculum or they already belong to a larger formal co-op? That's probably a question we hear more often these days than we did in the past because nowadays there are so many co-ops available to join and there's complete curriculum packages that people buy. But there's always going to be another family or two who wants to experience homeschooling co-op style in a more relaxed setting. So what you need to do is just find one or two more families. You'll probably find more than that, but at least get started with one or two families who are willing to give co-oping a try with you one day a week. What you might want to do is contact a local support group, go to park days, play dates, mom's night out, things like that so you can connect with some other families that you normally aren't around and find another family or two to join you for a co-op experience. Once you begin a co-op and you have several families join you, then usually the next time you organize a co-op, those families will have several other people in mind they've talked to about the co-op, and then more and more will join. And soon, you'll probably have too many people wanting to be in the co-op, and you'll have to split up or say no or help someone else start another co-op. Is every parent expected to participate? The way we homeschool co-op style, yes, we do expect the parents to participate. We would like everyone to be present at the co-op. Well, not both parents, usually just the moms, sometimes the dads. And every parent has something to do at the co-op, so we share the workload, which makes it much easy, easier on you and on all the parents. Some parents can participate more than others. Some are ready, willing, and able to teach. Others don't want to be up in front of the group, but they'll help with the snacks or the younger children or the crafts or the experiment. You can divide up the responsibilities. Does every parent have to do the same thing every week? Well, that's up to your co-op. Some co-ops I have parents who are gifted at crafts and they will do that every week. This last co-op I had a parent who wanted to do the geography lesson. So we had a parent who did the geography and a parent who did the crafts. I did most of the teaching and the other parents did the snacks and the setup and the cleanup and things like that that needed to be done. So they rotated and shared those different responsibilities. So in some co-ops parents do the same thing every week and some co-ops parents do something different every week. Well, it depends on your parents that are involved and in what y'all decide to do. Does every student have to participate? Absolutely. First of all, as good listeners, they need to learn to sit, to pay attention, and to get the most that they can out of the co-op experience. Our co-ops, we encourage children to give presentations in front of the group. We do this because the sooner they get used to speaking in front of an audience, the less likely they're going to grow up to be afraid of speaking in public. So you have a safe, friendly environment 
Put those children in front of the group, even if it's something simple they're sharing at the very beginning, just like their name, their family, a book report, something they did that week. But then expect more and more out of them so their presentations will become more elaborate. So they'll actually begin to learn how to research, how to put the information into a presentation, and then how to deliver a presentation well in front of a group. That doesn't mean every student has to give a presentation at every single co-op. Sometimes co-ops are so large that that you'd you'd be there all day if every student gave a presentation. In our last co-op, I left it up to the parents. There was one student who gave a presentation at every single co-op, and there were a few students who just gave a presentation every now and then. There was a family that when they gave presentations, their entire family participated in the presentation. So your co-op can decide how you want to handle that as well. Are adults ever involved who do not have children in the co-op? Yes, we've had adults involved in our co-ops who did not have children. They weren't even homeschoolers. We've had adults come in as speakers, as teachers. And during certain times to enhance the subject of what we were studying, we've had adults come in to share. One time we had a, a Sunday school teacher come in because he just wanted to see what we were doing. And he loved it so much, he was a martial arts teacher, that he decided to offer classes to the students during co-ops. So he became our our PE director, and the students absolutely loved that. And he enjoyed listening each week to what the children were learning. What if your group, for one reason or another, can't stay at the facility where you're meeting? We've had that happen before where we've started to meet a, a facility and then a change was made, and so we had to do something different. Well, you just switch gears. You need to be laid back enough to not let things like that throw you and come up with a plan B or C or D. That's what life is all about. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does happen, then in the interim, before you do find a place where you can meet weekly, you could meet in someone's home or if it's nice weather, out at a park. What if you damage something at the facility? Then by all means, take care of it. We One time we shut the door at the library and a wreath fell, a wreath fell off the wall. Uh, and we picked it up, made sure it was all okay, told the librarian what happened and, and hung the wreath back up. So if you do something that you've damaged, then you want to replace it. And you want to make sure that, that the owners of the facility are happy with whatever you've done. You should leave the place as clean as, if not cleaner, than when you got there. How do you handle snacks with children who have allergies? Well, with this day and age, there's almost always a child in a group who has an allergy. So start out finding out who has allergies and how severe they are. Sometimes children with peanut allergies cannot even be in the room with peanuts or peanut butter. So that needs to be addressed before co-op starts so there's no misunderstanding and so the other parents and families are respectful of the child with allergies. How do you pick a theme? Well, if you're in charge, you can pick whichever theme you want. Uh, if you have younger children, you want it to be a lighter theme, something that's that's more fun than um, something more serious than perhaps an older group would pick. So with younger children, you may want to go with a simple theme like transportation or pirates or just pick out a series of books that you use or anything that they're studying or that they're interested in. It could be based around Legos. It could be based around sports. The The beauty of co-hopping is that anything works for a theme. So that's just up to you and the other parents or whoever's in charge to come up with something to study. What subject should you cover? Here again, this is wide open, but almost every co-op will cover uh, English and language arts, some form of 
or another, especially if the children are doing presentations, and you can include writing instructions and research instructions and public speaking instructions. It's very easy to add in geography lessons and history lessons regardless of your theme. If you're studying transportation, then your history can be the history of the invention of the modes of transportation as well as the inventors. And then you can pinpoint on a map where those inventors lived, where the inventions were made, and the countries in which all this took place. If you have older students, then you may want to add in subjects like logic and current events and speech debate, things that are going to be geared more toward older children than younger children. Should you add field trips in with your co-op? Some co-ops are very conducive to having field trips. If you're studying transportation, you could take a trip to the airport, to the fire station, to the police station, to a train station, to a boating dock, a marina. There are plenty of places you could go, probably not on the same day as co-op, probably on a different day. So that, again, will depend on the theme of what you're studying and, and what the parents decide to do. What do you do about discipline problems? Well, hopefully most of your parents are there at the co-op and they're going to take care of any discipline problems they see. But the teacher in charge or, or a parent in charge can give out a list of rules at the beginning, tell the children what they expect as far as their behavior, and then enforce whatever discipline they feel is necessary. We've usually told the children, um, you have three chances, three strikes, and then you're out, out of co-op. We've never had to have a child leave co-op ever. Discipline's rarely a problem because the parents are involved. But it is helpful to have other parents go up to the students who might be talking or goofing off and tap them on the shoulder and have them pay attention. And, and usually doesn't take more than one or two times for that to happen. Now, if you have younger children who are just learning to sit still and listen and behave, they're going to be a little more wiggly and and apt to talk, and, and that's just a matter of training them to sit and to listen well. Then when you get teenagers, they're going to want to pull out their phones or pass notes or doodle or draw pictures or things like that. And, and then again, you just need to address those issues and be firm in the discipline so that the whole co-op is not being disrupted by one or two unruly students. How important is it to have a newsletter? Almost all of our co-ops, we published a weekly newsletter that included highlights of the co-op, pictures of the co-op, and oftentimes the full presentations of the students of the co-ops. When children are younger, those presentations are pretty short and they fit in a newsletter. As the children get older, the newsletter would be too bulky to add the complete presentation, so we would have the children write up summaries of their presentations, or we would publish an anthology of all the presentations too if they wanted that in addition. We think it's important to have a newsletter for several reasons. Number one, you have a record of what you've done. If your umbrella school or the school board wants to look at your file, the newsletter can be in there. Number two, it's a good way to share with relatives what you're doing and even friends who are curious about homeschooling and you can show them what you've done. But also, the children love looking at them, going back over the years and remembering what they did and their friends and the presentations they gave. And it, it becomes a good keepsake. So it is important, I think, to have newsletters. What I do now is publish the newsletter weekly and send it digitally to the parents in full color and then let them print it out if they want to. They can print it in color or black and white. But I also offer at the end of a co-op to put all of the newsletters together in a bound format, have a printer printed up with a cover. 
if the parents want that. And usually we find those books cost about $10, but it includes all the newsletters and it's in full color. And most of the time parents find that worth spending money on. What do you do with toddlers and babies during co-op? Well, there's four choices here. Number one, you can just keep them with you as long as they're well-behaved and not disrupting co-op. Or you can use a room at a facility if you have one and assign parents to rotate babysitting those who can't be right there in the room at co-op. Or you could combine your resources and hire a babysitter if no one wants to miss being with the other students during that time. Or you can leave your younger children with a relative, grandma, granddad, somebody like that, so that you can be at co-op with the older children. That's really up to you and up to your co-op to decide how to handle that. What do you do if someone drops out in the middle of co-op? Sometimes families move or they have emergencies or crises and they have to bow out of co-op. Well, what you need to do is make sure whatever their responsibility was is now going to be handled by other parents. So you, you need to assign their responsibilities to someone else and make sure or, or drop whatever it is they were covering if that's okay with the co-op. What if someone wants to join you in the middle of co-op? Well, that's up to the other co-op members. You should have a discussion and talk about the ramifications of bringing someone in midstream. We've done that before. It hasn't been a problem. In fact, it's worked out well to have someone new in the co-op, even though they missed the first part of co-op. Are there hardship situations that take special handling? Yes, there are, and you want to be sensitive to them. One time we had a single mom who wanted to participate, but she had to work and could not be at co-op. And so we allowed her son to come to co-op each week without her, and other parents agreed to help watch him and make sure his behavior was satisfactory. She ended up offering to take the children's presentations and grade them, although she wasn't really grading them. What she did was give them insight into how they could improve their presentation, and it turned out to be a great asset to that co-op. We've had co-ops where there were small costs involved. Our last co-op, we had to rent a facility, so we just divided that cost among the families. But we knew one family was having a hard time. The dad was disabled and not working at that time. So the other families agreed to pitch in and pay for that family's share as well. So that way they could be a part of the co-op, not have that expense, and not have the burden of worrying about it. You may have families who have children with special needs who want to be a part of your co-op, and you can make special exceptions for that as well. In fact, we enjoy having children with, of special needs with our co-op because it really enhances the co-op and it gives the other students an opportunity to interact with and encourage and bless and be patient with those who have special needs. If you homeschool mostly co-op style, what do you do about high school transcripts? Well, what you need to recognize is the disciplines you're covering at the co-op so you can separate them out and put them onto a transcript. Once our children became teenagers, every co-op had geography lessons, history lessons, language art lessons, public speaking lessons, current event lessons, and logic lessons. We often had more disciplines than those as well. It might include science. Uh, it could include, but rarely included, math. It might include foreign language because we have had co-ops that included Latin. So depending on what your co-op is teaching, you just need to separate the disciplines to put them on a transcript so that you can show proof of your child's attendance in a class that covered those subjects. I'm sure there's many more questions you may have about homeschooling co-op style. So feel free to contact me and send me those questions, and I'll be glad to cover them on a show at a later date. Until then, have a great week. This is Homeschooling Co-op Style. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends. 
And until next time, this has been Homeschooling, Co-op Style.